Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of This Week in History. We have probably one of the more anticipated shows, one of a show that we've been talking about for a few weeks, maybe months now, I would say, actually. Definitely a few months. Um, The challenge was set that, uh, for those of you who had been on my Patreon, you knew that we'd done an episode on some gangsters. Uh, We did a gangster series on Patreon, and dad has always wanted to do an episode on bonnie and clyde and i said tough i've already covered it and he said well i can't listen to it i said well it's because it's on patreon so those of you who were on patreon had the ability to listen to this episode and i said you know what we'll put it out as an uh, on the normal feed and we'll let dad do his own version of it and here was me thinking that Dad was going to do a normal episode on it, and it would be a fair challenge as to who would do the better episode. Um, and it turns out that he's probably done somewhere near to two to three times the amount of work as what I put in. So I don't think this is really a fair competition anymore, but nonetheless, the challenge was set out, who can do a better Bonnie and Clyde episode, um and dad has spent stupid amounts of time getting this one ready and here we are we're gonna see what you can do right of course so like i said for for some time now i've wanted to do a podcast on the subject but like you said you'd already covered it and i wasn't on patreon so i had no idea what you said you did tell me that you'd covered it as part of your um gangster series on patreon 
but but how much detail you went into i didn't know <laughs> so as such when you set me a challenge to do a better job i didn't know what i was getting myself into no all right uh, and then you go and put it out on normal podcast yeah well, it would make it a fair competition. Yeah, so I had a sneaky listen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And um, you did a really good job with this one. Uh, there's a couple of things in my research that I found weren't quite exactly as you described, but that doesn't detract from the 21-month crime spree that this particular podcast is about. Mm. So I hope I've done an equally good job. There's a your, lot of detail in there. I know there's a lot of detail <laughs> in it, yeah. But I hopefully I'm, I've done this one justice. So I'm not going to give you just a list of their crimes because that'd be ridiculous. Yeah. So in this episode, I'm also going to cover how their crimes spree ended. And to be honest, that could take up an episode mm. of your podcast all on its own. Um, but as a result, this particular one is the longest podcast i've ever done for you yeah and bearing in mind we've had a couple of hour and a half ones and yeah so this may i'll get it out here now depending on how quickly we go through this there may be a two-part to this because obviously i don't expect people to, to hang around for, for, for a two-hour podcast of so course not we might get halfway through and i'll uh i'll but let's see how we we'll go, see how we go because you might read quicker than that Okay, <laughs> read quicker. It's all up here. Yeah. It's all upstairs. <laughs> I've got notes and that's about it. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back in time around 90 years to a time before television. It was a time when most people in the US uh, got their information from newspapers. And it was a time when America itself was in the middle of the Great Depression. I mean, the world was in a, a depression, but America in particular had the Great Depression, which actually lasted between 1929 and 1941. So we're right bang in the middle of it. It was a time when life for many citizens was full of hardships and the news of anybody doing well or rebelling against the elite was greeted with enthusiasm. Uh, the fact that any story that took away their struggling reality was actually swallowed up, even if it was only for a few minutes. So this was the era of the US gangsters. Mm -hmm. uh, and this podcast is about a couple of criminals from this era, more specifically the 1930s. And that's what they were. They were criminals. Car thieves, robbers, murderers, killers of police officers and much more. So we're talking about Clive Chestnut Barrow and Bonnie Elizabeth Parker, better known as Bonnie and Clyde. Yep. You've read the story of Jesse James, of how he lived and died. If you're still in need of something to read, here's the story of Bonnie and Clyde. Now, Clyde was born on the 24th of March, 1909, into a poor farming family in Ellis County in Texas. He was the fifth of seven children, and life for the Barrow family was hard. In fact, they actually lived for a time underneath their wagon. That was until Clyde's father could actually make enough money to buy a tent. As a child, Clyde learnt to play the guitar and the saxophone, and he actually wanted to become a musician. 
1926, aged 17, he applied to join the US Navy, and he even went as far as having USN tattooed on his left arm. But unfortunately for him, he was rejected, and he was rejected on the grounds that he was still suffering from the effects of a childhood illness. Most likely malaria or yellow fever, but I couldn't actually find out what. Hmm. Now, this pissed him off no end. I mean, he wasn't born a criminal, and, and it's most likely that the circumstances pushed him, and a lot of others, in that direction. But he did become one of the most infamous ones in world history. Yeah. Oh, definitely. He definitely did. I mean, he had a series of legitimate jobs from 1927 to 1929, and he found that he also had another skill, and that was the ability to steal cars. So he supplemented his income with these criminal activities, and there were several arrests for minor offences during that period. But it was love that started Clyde on his game and his life of crime. <laughs> Basically, like a lot of people do, yeah. he had a fight with his girlfriend, uh, a lady called Eleanor B. Williams. Funnily enough, he also had her tattoos, her initials tattooed on his arm. Um, and because of this argument, she left Dallas to stay with some family members in uh, nearby uh, Broadus in Texas. Yeah. Now, Clyde, hoping to win her back, rented a car. He travelled to see her, but he didn't pay the extra to take the car out of town, which you had to do in those days. Right, okay. When he didn't bring the car back on time, the rental agency called the police. Police put out a warrant, and he was arrested for the offence on the 16th of October 1929. Now, the car company declined to press charges, but Clyde was now officially in the system. Mm. Just three weeks later, he was arrested again, although on this occasion he was with his older brother, Buck. The offence was theft, and basically he was caught driving a truck full of stolen turkeys. Fair enough. Now, with these two arrests being so close together he came to the attention of the local police. Okay. So that's a little bit on Clyde. The other half of this infamous pair was born on the 1st of October 1910 in Texas. Now, like Clyde, her life was also hard, but it became worse after her father died, and he died when she was four. Despite this, she did well at school. She excelled in creative writing, spelling, acting, and poetry and during her second year at high school she became involved with a, a classmate Roy Thornton and on the 24th of September 1926 six days before her 16th birthday so she was still 15 they got married that wasn't illegal then I'm guessing uh, it was yeah oh okay uh, Bonnie even had a tattoo of their names on her right thigh to celebrate this romance. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's nice to know they was that stupid then as we are now, still getting tattoos like that. Yeah. I mean, their marriage wasn't a pleasant one. Um, Thornton actually proved to be physically abusive towards her, and as a result, the union just 
fell apart and they went their separate ways. But the couple never actually divorced. Hmm. Now, in 1929, Thornton was sentenced to five years in prison for robbery and Bonnie moved in with her grandmother. This was the end of it. You know, the union fell apart. She and Thornton never saw each other again. And she was still married to him and wearing her wedding ring when she died. Bonnie wanted to be a movie star and she sent several photos to film studios, funnily enough, without any success. She first met Clyde on the 5th of January 1930 and it was at a home of a gentleman called Clarence Clay. <laughs> Believe it or not, the address still exists. It was 105 Herbert Street in West Dallas. She was said to be in the kitchen making hot chocolate when Clyde dropped by. And their initial meeting was obviously by pure chance. But it was attraction at first sight. Clyde was already wanted by the police at this time for a series of minor crimes, including car theft, which we would call TDA, and robbery. He told Bonnie that he expected to be arrested at some point in the near future. And the pair saw each other over the next few weeks until Clyde's luck ran out. The law caught up with him he got arrested. He was sent to prison, but he managed to escape on the 11th of March, with just a little help from Bonnie, who managed to smuggle a gun into prison for him. His freedom didn't last long. He was captured a month later in April, and this time he was sentenced to 14 years and sent to the East Ham Prison Farm, which, to be perfectly honest, was not a nice place and it was infamous for its bad living conditions and brutality. And Clive wasn't very imposing. In fact, he was only five foot seven and weighed 10 stone, which for your American friends is about 140 pounds. Well, yeah. Yeah. I don't understand why they don't use stones, but well, that's for another episode. <laughs> exactly. So in prison, he became the target of repeated beatings and sexual assaults, and in particular by one dominant inmate called Ed Crowder. So these attacks ended one rainy afternoon in autumn. Right, cause I say autumn because we're British. It's not the fall. It's, it's not the fall. Because fall is where the leaves come down off the trees. Autumn is the same time of year, but we call it autumn. <laughs> because because we invented it's our language. language yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, on this rainy afternoon, Barrow or Clyde lured him into the showers with a promise of sex and once there he beat the shit out of him with a length of pipe fair play as far as i'm concerned this was clyde's first murder but fortunately for him another inmate called aubrey scally who was already serving a life sentence claimed responsibility at the time and clyde's actual involvement didn't come out until after Clyde's death I think it's fair play though in that situation hmm. it's a justified killing now in January 1932 Clyde decided he could no longer endure the unforgiving work and brutal conditions of the notoriously tough East Ham prison farm so in the hopes of forcing a transfer to a less less harsh facility Clyde cut off his left big toe and a portion of the second toe with an axe 
Now, it's not actually known whether he did it or he got another prisoner to do it, but that's what he did. And the self-mutilation permanently crippled him. It actually made him unable to walk without a limp and prevented him from wearing shoes whilst driving. This act that he did was actually unnecessary. Because... <laughs> <laughs> His mother, who had been partitioning for his release since his original arrest, finally succeeded, and he was released on parole on the 2nd of February, 1932, only six days after his meeting with the Axe. That's a bit unlucky, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but the experience had made him hardened and very, very bitter person. I mean, he called East Eastham... Uh, farm that hellhole and for a good reason because during his time there he saw prisoners beaten by guards stuffed into tin sweat boxes under the sun even murdered and sometimes for the 25 dollar reward for the capture of escaped prisoners and other times just for revenge from the guards now this made uh, clyde so angry that while in there, he conspired with another prisoner, 19-year-old um, Ralph Fultz, to raise a gang and return to Eastham after his release. And he was quoted as saying, I'd like to shoot all these damn guards and turn everybody loose. Which is, that's what he told Fultz. So the two men decided that once they got out, they would return and they were going to break out some of their friends from the prison. Their friends were Palmer and a gentleman called Methvin. Yep. Another person called Bybee had arrived at East Ham after the others, and he was added to the group as a favour to Fultz. Was, you know, sort of friendly. Yeah. Fultz was released first. And upon Clyde's release, Clyde joined up with him on the outside. They very, very quickly began a series of car thefts and robberies, primarily of stores and gas stations. We'd call them petrol stations. Because mm. they don't sell gas, they sell petrol. No, but they do sell gasoline, which is what it's short for. Yeah. But then, yeah, petroleum. P petroleum, yeah. yeah. Now... Their goal was to collect enough money and firepower to launch a raid against Eastern Prism. Yeah. The pair acquired a number of weapons, but Clyde's gun of choice and his favourite was a Browning automatic rifle, an M1918. It was known as a BAR, and it would be classified in the UK as a machine gun. It could fire 500 to 650 rounds per minute. I don't know the US classification, but in the, U in the UK, it would be a machine gun. Hmm. His preferred car was a Ford V8. This was well-built, solid, handled well, and it had the advantage that it could outrun most of the police cars of the time. Yeah. The Pears Gang became known as the Barrow Gang and would eventually contain additional members, including Clyde's brother, Ivan, known as Buck, Buck's wife, Blanche, and several others. The gang embarked on a series of minor robberies, sometimes getting away with only a few dollars. 
On one of these robberies, it went drastically wrong. On the 22nd of March 1932, four criminals, Bonnie, Clyde, Ralph and a gentleman called Ray Hamilton attempted to rob a hardware store in Maybank in Texas. They were seen by the night watchman who sounded the alarm. The four fled off in a stolen car until Barrow drove into mud, which stopped the car. Barrow and Hamilton were able to escape on foot, but Fultz and Parker were arrested by the arriving police. Fultz was sentenced to 10 years in prison on May 11th, 1932, and he was eventually given a pardon in 1935. Okay. Bonnie, on the other hand, was held for two months, and at her trial she claimed to have been held hostage by the Barrow Gang. While she waited trial, she passed the time by writing poetry, much of which chronicled her relationship with Clyde. And one of these was called The Trail's End. Yeah. They don't think they're too smart or desperate. They know the law always wins. They've been shot at before, but they do not ignore that death is the wages of sin. Some day they'll go down together and they'll bury them side by side. To few, it'll be grief. To the law, a relief. But it's death for Bonnie and Clyde. It's actually quite a good poem, that. Kind of ironic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> funny that she wrote it, or obviously she wrote it before she died, but it's pretty much almost like a prediction, wasn't it? It was, yeah. So it's not too bad. So, on the 23rd of March, 1932, Ivan, or Buck Barrow, brother of Clyde, was released from the Texas State Prison and he quickly joined the gang and brought his wife Blanche with him. The gang again embarked on a series of bold robberies which made headlines across the county, and they escaped capture in various encounters with the law. However, their activities made law enforcement efforts to apprehend them even more intense. The Barrow Gang continued with their crimes whilst Fultz and Parker were incarcerated. And on the 30th of April 1932, the owner of a store in Hillsborough, Texas, was shot dead during a robbery. Clyde was the getaway driver, but he was identified by the, the victim's wife, even though Clyde had remained outside in the car. So this was the first time he was accused of murder. But we know he'd already committed one. Mm. It certainly wouldn't be the last. Now, the jury must have believed Bonnie's hostage story because they failed to convict her and she got released on the 17th of June. So what did she do? She joined the Barrow Gang to continue her life of crime. 5th of August 1932, Clyde Barrow and the others in the Barrow Gang were found at a country dance they were found by two police officers. They were in Oklahoma. The police officers thought they were approaching people drinking moonshine because we're talking, this is the era, era prohibition. of prohibition. Unfortunately, they weren't. 
just people drinking moonshine. It was the Barrow Gang. The gang opened fire on the lawmen and killed one of them, uh, Deputy Eugene Moore, and he was the first of what would eventually become nine police officers that the gang would kill. He was the first. There's no turning back now. Clyde, accompanied by Bonnie, went on the run from the police. They were living by their wits. They were carrying out further robberies as they travelled across America. I mean, it sounds really exciting. And it was portrayed as such by the media who began to follow their exploits. In reality, Clyde was a small-timer who lived mostly hand-to-mouth, robbing gas stations and country stores, stealing cars to stay one, ahead, one step ahead of the ever-increasing police trying to track him. Truth is, without Bonnie the media outside Texas would probably have just dismissed him as one of hundreds of nameless gun-toting criminals, if they'd even considered him at all. Mm. The truth is that even in the 1930s, female criminals were few and far between. And Bonnie Parker was considered a very attractive one, and the papers made full use of any pictures they could find of her. With her sexy photographs, she supplied the means for a nation to initially overlook the small-scale thefts and needless killings that actually comprised the lives of the Barrow Gang. Mm. But the FBI, then called the Bureau of Investigation, became interested. And they became interested in the Barrow Gang in late December '32, And it was a singular piece of evidence that got them involved. But namely, a prescription bottle uh, from Texas was found inside a Ford car. The car had been stolen in Oklahoma. But it had been found near Jackson in Michigan in September of that year. Now, a search of the car revealed that a man and woman had recently been in it. The prescription bottle led the bureau of investigation officers to clyde barrow's aunt because the prescription was for her clyde bonnie and clyde's brother lc barrow that's lc barrow not elsie not elsie the woman's <laughs> name yeah no and they'd recently be seen visiting her a second stolen ford was found abandoned close to where the car with the bottle had been stolen from now this other car had been stolen in illinois and bonnie and clyde had been seen in this car so it took this incident to allow the bureau of investigation to get involved because this car theft was apparently a crime that had crossed state lines but they weren't called upon just yet now i don't know about you but and i don't know how exactly law informers enforcement agencies work in the u.s but maybe your listeners can give us a little bit of a clue there but the barrow gang had committed offenses in a number of states and were therefore wanted for these crimes now it, it appears to me that if a crime is committed in one state and the criminal goes into another officers from the first state can't arrest them in the second nor do the two states appear to exchange information about criminals and crimes occurring in their territory so surely if a crime is committed in a country 
the law enforcement officers in that country shouldn't be restricted in where they can work. Maybe one of your listeners can explain why officers are so restricted in a country that's supposed to be as free as America. I think, just my two pence with that, I think it's due to the fact that each law enforcement agency, regardless of where they are, wants the credit. So that's why the things like the FBI don't work with local police. They just come in and take over. And the CIA don't work. Do you know what I mean? Each each individual, mm. they're basically toting for the, the high marks or whatever. I mean, the it's UK like is made up contest. of four separate countries. There's England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. And any police officer from any one of them has the same authority in all the other three. So... It amazes me that this isn't the case in the US. It might be now. You can imagine it is now. You know, no, certainly, you see, wasn't, certainly wasn't then. You see, like, car chases when, you know, they're driving to Mexico. And when they're driving through the States, it'll be the same cars. They don't suddenly, oh, we've gone over the next border, we'll stop chasing them now. Mm. I think they do carry on, but I don't know. Maybe I mean, it's... If the, if the Barrow Gang had committed offences in England, they could be pursued and arrested by English officers even if they crossed the border into Scotland. Yeah. The, the UK doesn't need a separate agency like the US did, or maybe still does. Mm. But I, I sp- don't know. I suppose that's how the Barrow Gang managed to get away with so many crimes for so long. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah. You just move from place to place and you get away with it. it certainly looks like it. Mm. Anyway, let's go back to 1933. April the 13th, 1933, the Barrow Gang, including Buck Clyde, a gentleman called W.D. Jones, had a shootout with law enforcement officers at Joplin, Missouri. Missouri? Yeah, Missouri. Clyde and Bonnie had rented a house in the town, and the gang had used it basically as a place to hide out. Trouble is, they weren't that discreet about being there. Uh, They ran loud alcohol-fueled card games late into the night in this quiet neighbourhood and the men came and went noisily at all hours in fact Clyde accidentally fired one one of his BARs in the apartment while cleaning it now no neighbours ever went to the house but one person reported his suspicions to the Joplin Police Department the police assembled a five-man team in two cars on that April day and they went to confront what they suspected were bootleggers living in the Oak Ridge Drive address. The Barrow brothers and Jones opened fire, killing Detective Harry McGuinness, killed him outright, fatally wounding Constable Harriman. Parker, Bonnie Parker, opened fire with a BAR as the other officers ran off. Um, That forced... A patrol sergeant, Carla, to duck behind an oak tree. The bullets from uh, Bonnie's gun struck the tree and forced splinters into the officer's face. Bonnie got into the car with the others and they just pulled away. And a Blanche, who was out on the street at the time, was picked up as the car was moving. The surviving officers later testified they'd only fired 14 rounds in the conflict. One hit Jones on the side. One struck Clyde, but was deflected by his suit button. 
and one grazed buck after ricocheting off a wall. Now, although the gang escaped at Joplin, they left behind most of their possessions, including Buck's parole papers, which were only three weeks old. Hmm. They also left a large arsenal of weapons, a handwritten poem by Bonnie, of which I have given you the yeah. part, part of it, and evidence linking them to a series of robberies. In addition, they left a camera with several rolls of undeveloped film. So police developed the film. This is how photos of the gang made it to the newspapers. So when you see pictures of Bonnie and Clyde, yeah, they are taken by the Barrow gang. They were left at this address. <laughs> the Barrow gang became front page news throughout America. Yeah, we got a female gangster. Yeah, you can imagine why. You know. Despite the close shave, the gang continued to commit crimes and murders. Although, with their new notoriety, the gang's daily lives became a little bit more difficult. They had to try and evade discovery. Restaurants and motels became less secure, and they had to resort to campfire cooking and bathing in cold streams on more than one occasion. Not a nice way to live. May the 20th, 1933, the, U the U.S commissioner at dallas issued a warrant against clyde barrow and bonnie parker charging them with interstate transportation from dallas to oklahoma and this was in view of the car stolen in illinois so we go back to the car with the prescription bottle yeah the bureau of investigation now officially started its hunt so the forerunner of the fbi became involved yeah so the next significant incident to occur to the gang involved an injury to Bonnie Parker. The three of the gang, Clyde, Bonnie and William Jones, were in a stolen car on the 10th of June and they were travelling at speed in a dark road near Wellington, Texas. Clyde, who was driving, failed to see the warning signs for a bridge under construction and he also missed the detour sign. As a result, he drove through the barricade at 70 miles an hour car sailed through the air flipped over and landed in a dry riverbed bonnie parker who was in the front passenger seat received third degree burns to her right leg now sources disagree on whether it was a petrol fire or whether she was doused with acid from the car's battery which to be honest was housed under the floorboards of her seat either way her injuries were so severe that the two men didn't believe she was going to survive a substantial amount of skin had burnt away from her hip to her ankle and it was down to the bone in some places on her right leg. The two men just didn't believe she was going to make it. But survive she did. The accident left her with a permanent limp but the incident became known to the police and as a result the police decided to keep an eye open for anybody purchasing bandages or medication for serious burns. Makes sense. Did that? Oh, yeah. The gang's luck finally ran out in Iowa on the 19th of July, 1933. Now, some days before, the gang had checked into the Red Crown Tourist Court, which is south of Platte City in Missouri. 
The place consisted of two brick cabins joined by a garage. The gang rented both cabins. Blanche and Buck took one while the other three went into the other. Unfortunately for the gang, there was a restaurant close by and that was popular with the Missouri Highway Patrol. It's people who have seen their picture. Blanche registered the party as three guests, but the, the owner saw five people getting out of the car. He also noticed that the driver backed into the garage and described the way he did it as gangster style for a quick getaway. Most drivers of the day parked their vehicle nose in uh, and to back a car into the garage was just unusual. Blanche paid for the cabins with coins rather than notes. Oh, Jesus. Would you? All, would they know what notes? Because they'd call it bills, wouldn't they? Mm. Yeah. Anyway, they paid with it with coins, yeah, and but, not paper. Yeah, but that's weird. like, why would that make a difference? Lots why would that be? Lots of small change. Yeah, just could have robbed the casino. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, but that, that wouldn't strike me as weird. That. Well, just cheap. She did exactly the same when buying five dinners and five beers, which, to be honest, was unusual at the time of the Great Depression. Mm. Notes were the main sort of thing. The next day, it was noted that the guests had taped newspapers over the windows of their cabin. Now, these acts were suspicious enough, but when you add it to the fact that Barrow and Jones had been seen in town buying items to treat Bonnie's injuries, the police put the two cabins under surveillance. Yeah. At 11pm on the 19th of June, a group of officers armed with Thompson submachine guns led by Sheriff Kofi approached the cabins. They waited until 1am before Officer Highfill pulled the police vehicle up to the garage doors to prevent the gang using their car as a getaway. Sheriff Kofi, holding a steel bulletproof shield in front of him, knocked on one of the two cabin doors. He announced he was the law and he needed to speak to them. It was the door that Blanche and Buck had had got. Yeah. Blanche's response of just a minute was a prearranged code which alerted Clyde who went into the garage where he could see Officer Kofi through a glass panel in the door. Clyde fired his BAR at Kofi, who dived away amidst a barrage of gunfire from the BAR and from the returning fire from the officers behind him. He was hit. Clyde also fired rounds from the Browning at the armoured police car that was parked across the garage doors, preventing preventing the gang's escape. The bullets went through the car and wounded the officer behind the wheel, George Highfield. It wounded him in both knees and forced him to back the car away from the garage doors, thereby freeing an escape route for the gang's car. Blanche and Buck had to leave the cover of their cabin because it had no interior door leading to the garage like the ones occupied by Clyde. As the door opened, they were exposed and were targeted by the officer's gunfire. Buck fell with a bullet entering his left temple. The bullet 
travelled across the inner surface of his skull and out of the right temple. Bonnie and Clyde stopped and while under fire helped Blanche drag Buck into the car, drove away under a barrage of fire which shattered the car glass. Glass splinters penetrated and blinded Blanche's left eye and damaged her right. In reality, the Thompson machine guns were no match for the BARs. Yeah. The gang drove off in their stolen Ford V8. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They'd got away again. But now Buck had a large hole in the bone of his forehead which exposed his brain. Blanche was nearly blinded in both eyes by the glass. She survived her wounds but lost the sight in one eye. And despite his bad head wounds and loss of blood, Buck was fully conscious. The gang fled north. Although they initially got away, the law enforcement agencies continued to track their movements and just four days later they were cornered in an abandoned amusement park near Dexter in Iowa. The police surrounded the park. The trail of dirty bandages led the police straight to them and another shootout occurred. Clyde, Bonnie and WD escaped. Blanche and Buck weren't so lucky. Blanche, still suffering from the wounds in her eyes, sustained further injury when she was shot in the the stomach by a shotgun. Buck was shot six more times, but he survived. 
Buck was taken to King's Daughters Hospital in Perry, Iowa, where he survived a few more days before dying at 2pm on Saturday the 29th of July. Blanche was tried for the attempted murder of Sheriff Kofi, convicted and sentenced to 10 years in prison. She was released in 1939 and died of cancer on Christmas Eve 1988. Wow. Despite the loss of his brother and the arrest of Blanche, Bonnie, Clyde and W.D. Jones continued their crime spell. <laughs> Albeit the police were now close behind. Yeah. Early in September, the, the gang risked a, run, risked a run to Dallas to see their families for the first time in four months. This is where Jones parted company. He continued on to Houston, where his mother had moved. He remained there without incident until he was arrested on November the 16th. Bonnie and Clyde went on together to carry out more robberies. They even managed to escape a trap set by Texas Sheriff and his deputies on the 22nd of November. And their exploits were making the newspapers with photographs and articles and the photographs that were made available to the police. The public were eager for any information. Mm. 1933 gave way to 1934 and Clyde Barrow was finally about to carry out his revenge on the prison. Saturday the 13th of January saw Bonnie and Clyde sitting in a stolen Ford V8 on a quiet Texas country road. They were waiting for Floyd Hamilton and an ex-convict named Jimmy Mullins to return. These two men had slipped through the barbed wire perimeter fence surrounding Eastern Prison Farm to hide two Colt 45 automatics and several clips of ammunition. These guns were later retrieved by an inmate in preparation for an escape. Now, all wasn't good with the gang, and although Clyde had enlisted Hamilton and Mullins, he didn't trust Mullins. So much so that he insisted that he remain with him and Bonnie until the time of the planned breakout. Part of the reason he distrusted him was because of the way they met. Mullins had bunked next to Hamilton in Eastern Prison, and Mullins had been promised $1,000 by another prisoner called Raymond if he would contact Barrow and arrange to have a number of weapons planted in the compound. Tuesday the 16th of January dawned damp and chilly, there was a thick fog rising from the nearby Trinity River and that blanketed the countryside. South of Camp 1, Parker, Barrow and Mullins waited in a thickly wooded area at the edge of the road. The sun started to rise. It was early morning and they could see a clearing in the trees just to the north. Barrow and Mullins got out of the car and walked towards the clearing. Bonnie stayed in the car. Barrow carried his weapon of choice, a BAR. And it was capable. I mean, we've said it does shoot. It's powerful. It's powerful. I mean, it would knock out a 20-round clip of armour-piercing shells in less than three seconds. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not a thing to be trifled it's with. It's not a toy. No. The two men crouched along the creek bank and waited. Through the morning haze, they detected movement 
followed by voices and the sounds of tools and horses. They were, on this occasion, two work crews of prisoners arriving in the uh, fields, and that was due to staff shortages. They slowly moved towards the hidden pair. Prisoners spread out and started clearing the brush, the, the brush piles and in preparation for the spring planting and cutting of wood for the camp stoves. Among the workers were Hamilton and Palmer. Both of them were armed with the weapons left two days before, and both of them who were aware of who was waiting not far away. There's conflicting reports about what actually happened. Some say the prisoner Palmer approached and shot guard Major Crawson. Major was his name, not his title. Yeah. Uh, I did wonder that. <laughs> yeah. I thought I'd... Um, some witnesses say Palmer deliberately shot Croson uh, for revenge. Others claimed it was Croson who fired first. Another source quoted Palmer as saying, I told the guards to sit still and don't move. There will be no shooting. I really thought they'd stick their hands up. But regardless of that, at some point, Palmer shot Croson. Shot him in the stomach. Mortally wounded, so he's going to die from this. The guard turned his horse around, rode back to the camp to sound the alarm. Palmer fired at another guard called uh, Bozeman, but missed. Bozeman pulled the pistol and returned fire, but the bullet only creased Palmer's temple. Palmer fired again. This time, the bullet struck Bozeman's holstered gun and sliced deep into his hip. Bozeman and his weapon fell to the ground. Raymond Hamilton was fumbling around in the mud for this particular time because he'd actually ejected the clip from his own weapon, so he was absolutely useless. <laughs> At that point, Clyde, still concealed in, in the woods, stood up, fired a volley from his automatic rifle over the heads of everybody. Guards and prisoners alike dived for cover. Back in the car, Bonnie leaned on the horn to signal the escaping men which way to run. Palmer, Hamilton and Methin and Bybee began running south through the mist towards the sound. They all squeezed into the back of this V8 Ford and left the guards and remaining prisoners behind. Clyde had his revenge on the prison. Yeah, finally, after a few years. Lee Simmons, the director of Texas prison system, was really embarrassed by the raid and the loss of prisoners. And it didn't take officials long to work out that if Bonnie and, uh, and Clyde were behind the break. In fact, it's a natural conclusion that if Barrow was there, then Bonnie couldn't have been far away. And of course, yeah. they were right. Something had to be done about the Barrow gang. The Bureau were getting nowhere. So something else was needed. Now, Several years previously, there was a group of lawmen who operated just on the edge of the law just to get things done, and they were called the Texas Rangers. I was going to say, yeah, you've got to be on about them. The most famous of these was a man called Frank Hamer. Now, although they'd been disbanded a few years ago, it was Simmons who, on the 12th of February, brought Captain Frank Hamer out of retirement and put him on the gang's trail. Well, the first thing Frank did was to recruit five others. He began to study the gang's movements in detail, and he found that over time they swung in a big circle, skirting the edges of the five Midwestern states and exploiting the state line rule which prevented officers from pursuing a fugitive into another jurisdiction. 
as I've mentioned earlier. This was not going to be a problem for him. He was a ranger. And the gang had committed crimes in Texas. Other crimes could be dealt with by the Bureau, as one had been federal, albeit it had only been transporting a stolen vehicle, but it was still there. Yeah. Barrow appeared to be consistent with his movements, so Hamer charted his path and predicted where he would go. He worked out the gang's itinerary centred on family visits, and he made his plans accordingly. On the 1st of April 1934, an episode occurred that uh, turned the public opinion against the gang. Bonnie and Clyde encountered two young highway patrolmen near Grapevine in Texas. The two patrolmen had stopped their motorcycles on Dove Road, which was a dirt road just off Highway 114 near Grapevine. They saw a Ford V8 on the roadside. Believing that the the motorist needed help, they approached the vehicle. Bonnie and Clyde pulled out a shotgun and a handgun, and before the officers could draw their guns, they were shot dead. Patrolman Holloway Murphy had served with the Texas Department of Public Safety for six months. He'd just completed his training, and it was his first day on patrol. Officer Edward Wheeler had been an officer for four years and they were both killed it was thought that other members of the gang may also have been involved I mean, Henry Methin, Richard Hamilton but it was never proven because there were no witnesses no reason was ever given for these two officers being killed but it started to turn opinion against yeah. the Barrow gang unauthorised killings seem to on the 6th of April 1934 the pair shot and killed another police officer Constable William Campbell in Miami that's Miami Oklahoma yes (laughs) at the same time they injured and abducted a police chief who they actually released Now, this increase in violence against the officers of the law led to an increased effort by law enforcement to end their crime spree. And a week later, on the 13th of April, the Bureau of Investigation received information that Bonnie and Clyde, along with Henry Methin, had been in a stolen car in Louisiana. Now, this was where the family of Henry Methin lived. So... It was known that the pair and the gang had visited them on several occasions. Yeah. The investigation agent definitely placed Bonnie and Clyde in a remote section in the area, not far from the Methins' house. This was reinforced when they learnt that Bonnie and Clyde, with some of the Methins, had staged a party in Black Lake, Louisiana, on the night of the 21st of May and they were due to return to the area two days later. Now, by May 1934, Clyde Barrow had 16 warrants outstanding for him for multiple counts of robbery, car theft, theft, escape, assault, and murder in four states. So just a few, then? Although wanted, he had not been convicted of any, so technically he was innocent until proven guilty. Well, yeah. That is, that is kind of how it works, isn't it? Yeah. You can't be convicted until you're arrested anyway, can you? 
No. No. Well, I don't know about over over in the US, but in the in the UK, no. You have to be arrested and put before a court. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Frank Hamer believed that Bonnie and Clyde would visit the Methin home as they were in the area. And along with three other Texas Rangers and two Louisiana officers decided they were going to set a trap for them. Now, this is where luck plays a part in the story, because unknown to the officers, Clyde had designated the Methins family residence as the rendezvous point should the gang be separated. Believe it or not, Henry Methin had just done that. For reasons only known to him, Henry had previously made contact with the local sheriff via a third party and he stated that he would deliver Bonnie and Clyde to the authorities in exchange for a pardon from the state of Texas. This was agreed, and Henry Methin allowed himself to become separated from the pair, and remained so. This forced Clyde to eventually take the only road that led to the Methin's farm, so they could reunite. Hmm... Hamer decided to set a trap for Clyde on that same road, the Louisiana State Highway 154, just south of Gibbsland. At 9pm on the 21st of May, Hamer and five other law enforcement officers hid in the bushes by the side of this road. And it's not a tarmac road. Right? No, it's, it's a, a rough country road. country road. This road ran past the Messins farmhouse. And they waited for Bonnie and Clyde to drive up. Knowing that, given the chance, the pair would put up a fierce resistance, the officers were well armed. Each man had a shotgun, an automatic rifle and several pistols, all loaded with armour-piercing bullets. Once in place, all they had to do was wait. And wait they did all through the night and the following day. On the second day, Hamer enlisted the help of Henry Methin's father, a man called Ivy, probably by offering his son immunity, but more likely he was told that his son would be killed with Bonnie and Clyde if he was with them when, he w- when they were caught. But either way, Ivy was persuaded to park his truck on the roadside opposite where the lawmen were waiting he was told to place it on a jack and remove the wheel. This was in the hope that Clyde would recognise it and stop to help his friend's father. Ivy was then handcuffed to a tree to prevent him giving the ambush away and also to prevent him getting injured in a gun battle should one occur. Having waited a second night, Around 9.15 in the morning, there was the sound of a car heading down the road at speed. It was a 1934 tan-coloured Ford Deluxe V8. There's two occupants in this car, one male and one female. Ivy, who was still handcuffed to the tree, with the lawman, confirmed that the driver was Clyde Barrow as it approached. As expected, the car slowed down almost to a halt as it approached the disabled truck. At this point, Hamer stepped out from the bushes 
and at the same time a single shot ran out this shot was fired by officer prentice oakley who was a louisiana officer it hit clyde in the head killing him instantly Clyde's foot slipped off the brake and the car began to creep forwards. Bonnie let out a scream as the remainder of the lawmen emptied their automatic rifles into the now slow-moving car. The car sl crept slowly past the officers, who then emptied their shotguns and pistols into it. The gunfire was so loud that the police officers were left temporarily deaf for the rest of the afternoon. The car, with its dead occupants, crept past the officers and ran into a ditch about 50 yards further down the road where it almost turned over. The officers had fired between 130 and 160 rounds, emptying each of their weapons into the car. The car received 112 bullet holes. Clyde had 17 bullet entry wounds, while Bonnie, who was in the front passenger seat, had 26. In fact, they had so many holes in them that the undertaker had difficulty embalming them. Bonnie had more wounds than Clyde due to the fact that the bullets which were aimed at Bonnie hit her. But those that were aimed at Clyde went through the car, through him, through her, and out the other side. Yeah. Bonnie was 23 and Clyde was 25 when they died. There is actual film footage of one of, taken by one of the deputies immediately after the ambush. It's on YouTube. It shows the 112 bullet holes in the car, of which one quarter hit the couple. In the film, you can clearly see Bonnie Parker slumped in the front seat, leaning against Clyde. The officers searched the car. They found a pistol and a shotgun on the floor within easy reach. Fortunately, the occupants never got a chance to use them. Also found inside the car, three Browning automatic BARs. A 20-gauge Remington sawn-off shotgun. A 10-gauge Winchester sawn-off shotgun. A 32 caliber Colt, rifle, uh, Colt pistol. A 38 Detective Special revolver. A Colt automatic pistol. A Colt 1909 revolver and seven M1911 automatic pistols. There was also a thousand rounds of ammunition, including 20 full cylinder BAR magazines, and there were 15 sets of false number plates from various states, all in the car. Hmm. Hamer left a couple of lawmen at the scene while he. Jordan, Oakley and Hinton drove into town to make the telephone call to their bosses and to Lee Simmons to inform them that Clyde Barrow was now dead. By the time they returned to the scene, a crowd had arrived and some were trying to take souvenirs, bits of the car, hair, clothing from the couple and one man was stopped trying to cut off Clyde's ear with a penknife. Another had tried to cut off his trigger finger. Hamer stopped all this and arranged for the car, including its deceased occupants, to be towed to a more secure place in town. The bodies were put on display and 40,000 people queued to see Bonnie. 30,000 queued 
to see Clyde at the funerals. It's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot of people. I mean, although they committed their crimes together and died together, they weren't buried together. Clyde was buried in Dallas next to his brother and Bonnie was buried in a different cemetery, also in Dallas. Hmm. The story doesn't quite end there. It appears that the guns found in the car kind of disappeared, so they were probably taken by the officers as souvenirs. The car itself didn't actually belong to Clyde. In fact, he'd stolen it from an elderly couple who'd saved for years to buy their new Ford. (laughs) They'd only owned it for six weeks before it was stolen by Clyde on the 29th of April uh, from Topeka in Kansas. The car was seized as evidence by Sheriff Henderson Jordan, who refused to release it to Ruth Warren, who was the actual owner. I don't think she'd want it back, though, surely. Uh, She did. It took a federal judge's order and a legal battle for the car to actually be returned to her. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not, the car still exists today. With the bullet holes in Yes. It See, can, why would you want it back with covered it? Well, I suppose it's a piece it's a of history, isn't it? piece of history, isn't it? And it can actually be seen on display at Whiskey Pete's Casino in Prim, Nevada. That might be worth a, a visit. No, I think I'd be quite interested to go and see that. Yeah. Um, and actually, there is, I did check it up, there is a video on YouTube of the car in the casino. So it is actually there. It is actually there. And it is the original car, certified, the original car. That must be worth millions now, like multi-millions. So what about the people involved in the story? Yeah, we know that Blanche died Christmas Eve. Hilton Bybee, he was recaptured on the 30th of January, 1934, two weeks after the original breakout from the prison. Uh, In 1937, he escaped again from East Ham Prison and was shot in Arkansas by police later that year. Hmm. Raymond Hamilton and Joe Palmer were recaptured separately and returned to prison. Palmer was tried and convicted for the murder of Major Croson. Hamilton was tried as a habitual criminal. Both were sentenced to death. Hmm. Jimmy Mullins was the state's key witness against Palmer and Hamilton and received immunity from prosecution. But in 1938, he was sentenced to 75 years in prison for a robbery which netted him $36. Worth it then? Yeah. July the 22nd, 1934, Hamilton and Palmer escaped. So although they're sentenced to death, they escaped. And they created nationwide headlines, and it further embarrassed Lee Simmons, the Texas prison governor. Hmm. The embarrassment was short-lived. Both were recaptured and returned to Huntsville, and they were both executed in the electric chair on the same day, May the 10th, 1935. Floyd Hamilton, Raymond's brother, received two years in Leavenworth Prison for harbouring Bonnie and Clyde. Hmm. 
After his release, he embarked on a bank robbing spree, and in 1938, police captured him in Dallas. He was tried, convicted, and sentenced to 55 years in prison. In 1940, he was transferred to Alcatraz, where he tried to escape. This cost him nine years in solitary confinement. In 1958, after being incarcerated for 20 years, he was released. He died on the 24th of July, 1984. Wow. Now... It's weird to think that I know that's 50 years ago, like the 1980s, which is weird to think. But growing up in the 90s, the 1980s didn't seem that far away. No. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because when I always find that really strange. When I talk about sort of the 90s and things like that to the kids and they're like, oh, that's years ago. And I'm like, no, it's not. But then that's like when I was growing up, you talking about the 60s. Yeah, it's the same distance. You know what I mean? Same distance That's inside. Right. But yeah, it, to to have been involved in something like that and to have still been alive, mm. sort of towards the end of the century. Well, yeah. Now you see, you like this one. Yeah, go on. An Oklahoma court later tried and sentenced Methvin mm. to death for killing police officer Campbell. Now, this is a murder that he committed after making the pardon agreement. Right. So the court commuted his sentence to life when it was disclosed about his part in the capture or the death of Bonnie and Clyde. Ah. April 1949, he was released from prison. That's it. But an unknown person knocked him unconscious and placed him on a Louisiana railroad track where a train cut him in half. He was the man that betrayed Bonnie and Clyde. Ah. Why was he allowed out? I mean, to me, that, I mean, his sentence, he had his... He had his sentence commuted. Yeah, to life in prison, though. So Mm -hmm. why was he let out, what? There you go. Yeah. Wow, it was cut in half. That's now, that's almost like you see in cartoons, isn't it? When they <laughs> tie them to the train tracks. <laughs> yeah. Finally, I'll leave you with something to think about. According to the US Constitution, i.e. the law of the land, this ambush that killed Bonnie and Clyde was as illegal as it could possibly be. It is common knowledge that Bonnie and Clyde were guilty of multiple crimes. However, according to the letter of the law, to this day they remain innocent as they were never proven guilty in a court of law. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever attempted to serve a warrant on them. The Texas Rangers had no jurisdiction out of state. And also, according to the law, most, if not all, involved in the ambush should have been charged with conspiracy and murder. None were. Yet, most celebrate these people as brave heroes. The truth is, two innocent people were murdered by the law enforcement agencies for a warrant issued against them, but issued, not handed to, Mm. not given and that in that interstate one 
was driving a stolen vehicle across a state border. So that's the only thing they actually had a warrant out for? Mm. As a, As a gang. Imagine it happening now and the backlash from social media. Yeah. Well, I mean, right now it depends on a skin colour as to whether it would get backlash or not. Or the religion. Now, in my opinion, the law enforcement officers' actions were a little bit on the excessive side. I think 180 rounds classes as excessive, yeah. Um, there were other options to serve them justice. It was certainly not a last resort or even a good result in hindsight. No. But that's Bonnie and Clyde. What I'm going to do mm-hmm. is I'm going to leave you with the full poem written by Bonnie Parker in 1933. But before that, what's your opinion? So, I mean, I'm always a big fan of this innocent until proven guilty on that the whole thing because technically that means every single person that you arrested hadn't broken the law correct every single one until they were convicted then until they're convicted yeah so so they get arrested on suspicion of committing a crime even if you see it if i see it well as a police officer yeah if i'd have seen it then i would arrest them for doing something that i have seen yeah but otherwise if i know they've done it i would arrest them for that. For. If I have enough evidence mm. straight away, I would arrest them for that crime. But most of the arrests are you have been arrested on suspicion of causing mm. whatever. Yeah. Stealing this. So and so. Hmm. Yeah, I find that very. I mean, I'd never really thought about the fact that technically they're innocent. Yeah. Technically. Because there is no. I mean, we all know they're not. But, yep. Oh, obviously, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's no... To the letter of the law, until convicted, you haven't actually done anything wrong. Correct. Um, although, to be honest, on that basis, I think everyone needs to shut up about Donald Trump because he's not been convicted of anything and they still hate him. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, no, that's, but, you say that. But he is liked by a substantial number. Mm may not be over 50% of the American population, but he is liked by a substantial percentage of it. Yeah. He is not disliked by a massive amount in the UK. No, I think we... I think there's quite a few people over here that that think he's, you know, he's okay, he has his problems. I like a maverick. So, to me, I I would love someone like that in... Um, I think, to be honest, the... Um, the powers that be don't like some of the things that he stands for but equally there's some of the things the other side mm. I don't people won't like yeah but I mean you, I can link that to this I mean to you know like you said at the start when Bonnie and Clyde started out they were these like almost heroes yeah the rebellious teenagers almost i mean they were pretty much weren't far out of teenage years anyway but they were rebellious kids that were putting a middle finger up to the system and yeah then obviously the more it goes on the more people actually realize how bad it is and what's going on 
um, the crimes that were committed, the more things that are leaked into the paper, um, obviously things, people's opinions starts to change. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's very interesting. I mean, the, the like for example, the story that you've you've put about Clyde's brother and his wife didn't know any of that because I didn't look at that mm. when I when I did mine. I didn't look at. Well, you did, Bonnie, you did Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, I didn't do the, the gang. I didn't really look into things like that. So that was quite interesting. I mean, the fact that someone gets shot at one side of the head and it goes over their head, through the skull, out the other side, and he still survives is yeah is quite impressive. Um, it's impressive. <laughs> it would be impressive nowadays. Yeah. You know? But um, 1930s is even worse. But, yeah, no, I mean, it's um, it's definitely interesting. And, and like I say, there's, there's more more bits to there that i like i said i didn't even i didn't know about so that's that's why we do these well your bonnie and clyde was absolutely brilliant i was impressed with that um and i just thought i will see if i can add a little bit extra to mm. it and and just well pad out yeah the definitely story a bit definitely i mean it's and see it's, where it goes it's fantastic i mean like i said it's it's one of those stories that obviously i know quite a bit about but even then, you know, you're still learning things from it. And I'm sure there's people that have listened to this who have listened to my episode because it's been out there for a few weeks or ones who are on Patreon. I know I get messages of people on Patreon who say they're going through the episodes again and again just to listen to them. Um, so maybe some of you guys out there have listened to my Bonnie and Clyde maybe two or three times. But even you guys hopefully have learned something new from that because I know I definitely have. Well, so. it just got me that um, Bonnie Parker was still married, had a wedding ring on, and had her husband's tattoo, initials tattooed on her arm when yeah. she died. I didn't even know he. <laughs> I didn't even know he applied to join the navy as well. That's not something I I'd, I'd mm. found. I'd not not noticed that. So yeah, but there we go. Yeah. So we'll finish with the the poem. Oh, I, I will play you the poem written by Bonnie Parker in 1933. It's called The Trail's End. And, well, potentially, it's um, it, it's like a, well, premonition. Mm. So, anyway. Almost seems that way, doesn't it? Until next time. Yes. <laughs> Enjoy the, the poem. You've read the story of Jesse James, of how he lived and died. If you're still in need of something to read, here's the story of Bonnie and Clyde. Now Bonnie and Clyde are the Barrow Gang. I'm sure you all have read how they rob and steal, and those who squeal are usually found dying or dead. There's lots of untruth to these write-ups. They're not as ruthless as that. Their nature is raw. They hate all the law, the stool pigeons, spotters, and rats. They call them cold-blooded killers. They say they are heartless and mean. But I say this with pride, that I once knew Clyde when he was honest and upright and clean. But the law fooled around, kept taking him down and locking him up in a cell. Till he said to me, I'll never be free, so I'll meet a few of them in hell. The road was so dimly lighted, there were no highway signs to guide. But they made up their minds, if all roads were blind, they wouldn't give up till they died. The road gets dimmer and dimmer, sometimes you can hardly see. But it's a fight man to man, and do all you can, for they know they can never be free. From heartbreak some people have suffered, 
from weariness some people have died. But take it all in all, our troubles are small, till we get like Bonnie and Clyde. If a policeman is killed in Dallas, if they have no clue or guide, if they can't find a friend, they just wipe their slate clean and hang it on Bonnie and Clyde. There's two crimes committed in America not accredited to the Barrow mob. They had no hand in the kidnap demand nor the Kansas City Depot job. A newsboy once said to his buddy, I wish old Clyde would get jumped. In these awful hard times, we'd make a few dimes if five or six cops would get bumped. The police haven't got the report yet, but Clyde called me up today. He said, don't start any fights. We aren't working nights. We're joining the NRA. From Irving to West Dallas Viaduct is known as the Great Divide, where the women are kin and the men are men, and they won't stool on Bonnie and Clyde. If they try to act like citizens and rent them a nice little flat, about the third night they're invited to fight by a subgun's rat-tat-tat. They don't think they're too smart or desperate. They know the law always wins. They've been shot at before, but they do not ignore the death is the wages of sin. Someday they'll go down together. They'll bury them side by side. To few, it'll be grief. To the law, a relief. But it's death for Bonnie and Clyde. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.